0: When the pandemic started, it was a really big deal that everyone keep the surfaces of their restaurants, of the schools, of the church clean. Um, And this is because research came out that showed that the virus could survive up to 28 days um, on inanimate objects. So people were going to great lengths to flout their cleanliness and their contactless delivery um, to what my school provides, alcohol wipes for every student to wipe down their desk after every period. So people have gone to great lengths to make sure that the virus would not be spread in this way. And a lot of research has come out to show that that is not the the primary way that the virus is transmitted. Though it's possible, the primary way is through a person-to-person contact by droplets coming out of people's mouths or noses. Um, But regardless of where you land on the issue, in general, Um, people know that COVID can be transmitted very easily. While COVID-19 is incredibly dangerous dangerous, um, and deadly to some, there's one thing that is not threatened by COVID, and that's bleach, ammonia, and other household cleaners that have been suggested by the CDC. They're known to have the power to kill the virus. The virus can't mix with these cleaners or live on the surface. Its cleanliness literally kills the virus. And in the stories of Luke 5, we see Jesus operating much in this way. He acts like bleach. And we'll see how that works, but first let's look at what he says in Luke 4 about his mission to act like bleach. So remember that Jesus has just made it clear who he is and what he is to do. He's the one who has just proved that he can overcome the devil, the one who everyone else fallen prey to he overcomes temptation in the wilderness after 40 40 days of fasting he does not fall for the devil's lies and he overcomes so he passes the test and and it proves that he is the anointed uh, the anointed one and then he goes into the synagogue and he reads from isaiah and he says the spirit of god flows through him that he will preach the the gospel to the poor he's sent uh, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he sits down and he says, these things have been fulfilled. He is the one. He he is claiming that he is the anointed one whose God has sent to do these things. And he says, this is my mission. So what he just described is what he is going to do here on this earth. So what can we expect to happen after this point? Exactly that, right? He does it. He heals. He gives freedom to those who are captive to the powers of this world. He gives good news to people drowning in poverty. He proclaims healing to the brokenhearted. And to sum it all up, God is completing his mission for this world through Jesus. God is drawing near those who are far from him. So let's take a look at how Jesus does this and particularly how Jesus acts like bleach on a virus whenever we look at Luke 5 the first story that we see is Jesus encountering a guy named Peter Jesus asks to join Peter on his boat while he teaches a crowd so that his voice will carry better Peter agrees and when Peter's very forward guest begins to give him a seasoned him, a seasoned fisherman, um, a fishing lesson. He reluctantly listens, and all of a sudden, Peter and, the, and Zebedee's um, boats become filled with fish to the point where they're beginning to sink. Verse 8 tells us that, starting in Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' he fell down at Jesus's knees, saying, depart from me, For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So to sum this up, Peter recognized that Jesus is not a mere mortal, he is no ordinary human. Um, he is directly connected to Yahweh, to the Creator God, the one true God of Israel, the Holy One. And notice his response, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knows that God is holy. That's something that God made very clear when he declared it to Moses three separate times in the book of Leviticus. And the teaching that follows this, uh, this fact is that his people should also be holy. He called them out from the nations to be holy. So I've said this word many times now, holy, holy, and as you read the Bible, you'll find out that it's mentioned many more times. Holiness is something that keeps coming up in the Bible. So what does this word mean? We know that it's something that God is, and we know that Peter apparently didn't think he was, but what is it? Many of us probably have some baggage with with this word, um, because you might associate it with um, like holier-than-thou, uh, the people who have shamed you for the things that you've done or that you've been through. Maybe you see it as a kind of moral purity um, that only snooty, condescending people have. And while holiness uh, definitely has something to do with sin and sinlessness um, and purity, at its core, it's not really about this. Holy means set apart, Holiness separates the sacred from the common. Do you or someone in your family have a china cabinet? Then you know that this is a cabinet that's full of dishes that are so nice that they may never come out of the china cabinet or they come out very rarely on special occasions. Um, Why is this? It's because they are holy. They are set apart for a specific purpose. These are not the dishes that you warm up your frozen chicken nuggets on. You won't take this fine china outside for your cookout and have a hot dog on it. They have a distinct and special purpose. And when scripture talks about God's holiness, it's describing his otherness, his set-apartness. He is not of this world. He is not the trees. He's not the water. He's not the animals, the sky. The fall of man really changed God's relationship with the world, including his creation in the image of God, us. This was not the case in the beginning. In Genesis one through two, there was a beautiful ignorance between God and humans that he created. They spend time with him every day, it seems, and they had no fear. It was as it should be. But sin changed this relationship between God and his creation. When humans decided um, what is good and bad apart from God, they found themselves full of fear and shame in the presence of God. This is where God becomes China in the China cabinet. He becomes separate from man because life with God is eternal. And man should, would be eternally stuck in their sin if they remained with God. So his presence is no longer a source of joy and meaning, but it's a cause for fear. We can't be in God's presence because it's so unlike us. It's not normal. It's not of this world. It is holy. But God had already made a plan for rescuing us in our, our His erring creation. We would work, or He would work through one family to bring the whole world back to Himself. But many things would be different um, than the Garden. Meeting with God is a distinct and separate experience in life, and. Only God can bring about um, a reconciliation to the separation that has taken place. God can invite us into it, but it's not something that we can approach on our own terms. So when Moses first interacts with God, it's not because he was searching. He was just tending a flock of sheep on a mountain, and all of a sudden, he notices A burning bush, and he steps aside from what he does on a daily basis in tending the sheep, and he begins to come towards the bush. And he's immediately told that he needs to take off his sandals by this bush. So weird situation already. And then he's taking off his sandals. So why is he doing that? It's because it's holy ground, is what Exodus tells us. So what does it mean for ground to be holy? Well, if we think that it's just sinlessness, then we're going to think that is some weird ground. But it it's Not sinlessness, it is something that is other. It's something that's set apart and God has set apart this space for his presence. So Moses takes off his shoes to signify that this is holy ground. This is not the ground that you step on with your same shoes that you've been tending sheep with. You know, they're muddy, maybe they've got the occasional sheep patty or whatever you call that. No, this is the presence of the Lord. This is holy ground. He comes only because he's called. He can not approach on his own. God is holy and he is set apart from us. In the same way, when Moses is on the mountain receiving the laws of God, much later in the story, all the people of Israel are with him and they're at the base of the mountain and he is going up. And God tells Moses in Exodus nineteen twelve. he says, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you don't go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God's holiness is something that is fearful. It is something that is great and it is mighty, but it's not something that we can just approach on our own terms. Being in the presence of God is not something that the Israel, Israelites would have sang about, such as some of our songs that we sing in church today have to do with being in the presence of God, and it's a beautiful thing. It is. But at that point, it was much different. We, approaching God was something that was scary, Um, it's something that they were terrified of. God is totally separate from me. I can't be around the Lord. When Isaiah finds himself in the presence of the Lord in his book, in Isaiah 6, it says in verse 3 that he hears the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. "'Woe to me!' I cried. "'I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty.'" He felt like you would if you had just finished working in the garden on a hot summer day, and you're covered in sweat, you've got dirt on your hands and on your face and on your arms, and you're wearing your cut-off shirt from high school and you're wearing these nasty like cut-off jean shorts, and then all of a sudden, this limo pulls up and it's the president that you most respect. Maybe you don't want to meet this one, maybe you don't want to meet the last one, whatever. It's the one that you most respect. He pulls up, how would you feel? You know, he's ready to go to dinner with you. He's gonna take you out to a steakhouse, How would you feel? Dirty, unworthy, unprepared, out of place. Not right now, please. Um, This is Isaiah. He recognizes that he does not belong. He's in this vision and he's in the temple of the Lord and he sees the train of the Lord's robe and he realizes where he is and he says, woe is me, I am in the wrong place. I am dirty, I am unclean, I do not belong. But his is a bit worse. He's in the presence of God. He's thinking about the mountain that Moses went on and what was going to happen to the people if they had touched the mountain. They would die. I shouldn't be here. I'm not a priest like Moses. I'm going to die. But then something completely unexpected happens. One of the seraphim, or the angels, flew to me with a live coal. This is verse 6 in Isaiah. Um, With a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for or covered. God makes Isaiah worthy by his own hand. He acts to make Isaiah separate. His sin is covered by God's action. Now, with all of this story, In the background, now that we know the story of the Old Testament of God's holiness, his otherness, and man's sin, let's listen to Peter's words after he catches literally two boatloads of fish. Um, And he realizes it's not because he has a knack for fishing. So in verse 8 of Luke 5, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's words are supposed to upload all of this story that we know now that we just went over what happened in the Old Testament. And now we see the real miracle. It turns out that the boatload of fish pales in comparison to this miracle, that God is with us. The creator God has become a part of the story of humanity. His master plan of of bridging the chasm turned out to be uh, that he crossed the chasm. He passed the test, and Jesus is holy. He is other. But instead of saying, yeah, Peter, Peter, you're right. You're a scoundrel sinner who should not be around God, which is all true. Instead, he says in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus invites them into his presence. He is the one who makes them worthy. They don't have to fear. His word of command gives them validity to be with him. On top of this amazing story, we see his holiness clearly at work in the very next story. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute and I want you to think through this very um, out there illustration, okay? So imagine a world where you become infected with a disease and have to be quarantined away from your family barred from work, and even unable to worship with your community. You can open your eyes. It's not hard, huh? This is not just something that happened in the COVID-19 pandemic. This was an everyday reality for those affected by a variety of skin diseases, which went under the label, uh, which was an umbrella term, leprosy in the Old Testament. For people with leprosy, they had to wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkempt. Uh, They had to cover part of their faces and shout, unclean, unclean, whenever regular people who did not have leprosy would walk by. Leprosy was associated with death and people perceived it as a living death. Leprosy threatens or attacks the integrity, wholeness and completeness of the community and its members. And the impurity even resulting from contact with a contaminated person also had to be dealt with. A person who helped to purify a person Or house that was recovered from leprosy was regarded as polluted. They were sick, these people were sick, they were dying, and they were alone. This, I mean, it's very similar to now. They had contact tracing, they had all of these laws in place to make sure that no one was going to catch the skin disease. But these people, these lepers, they ended up on the outskirts of town left to die. And the next story that we see is Jesus interacting with one of these people. So, look at Luke 5, starting in verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Peter was a human and therefore sinful. But this man was a human, and therefore sinful. And on top of this, he was ritually unclean. He was unable to be a part of Israelite worship. He was unable to be a part of his family. He could not live in the town. He was left to fend for himself outside of the city. And Jesus touches him, which is the exact, if there is one thing that you should not do to a leper, it's touch them. Lepers shouldn't touch other people who are clean, and those who are clean should not touch the unclean. Those things should not mix, but Jesus touches him. This is astonishing. Jesus heals people a lot of times in the the Gospels, and if you're at all familiar with the Gospels, then you know that that's true. There's constantly people being healed as Jesus interacts with them. But this is one of the few times where Jesus doesn't just speak a word, but he touches the leper. And then Jesus gets leprosy. No, that's not what happened. Jesus heals him. Jesus doesn't become a leper, he cleanses this man because Jesus is like bleach. Jesus is not affected by this, man, this man's uh, leprosy. And then with Peter, he's not affected by sin, but instead Jesus affects those around him. He acts like bleach. He cleanses everything that he touches. Jesus makes him clean, and he's able to go back to the city because he's been healed. As of January 27th, the coronavirus has now infected over 100 million people. One person, uh, this year alone, one person is being infected every 7.7 seconds in this world, on average. Uh, since the start of this year. This virus is like an untamed wildfire leaving a path of destruction in its wake. In Luke 5, Jesus shows us that his holiness acts like a contagion. But instead of leaving a path of destruction behind him, he leaves people with changed lives. Luke 5 shows us that his holiness is contagious. Up to this point, In the world, the story has been that disease and sin is the contagion. Everyone has been affected and infected from their birth. Nothing's right, and humans only seem to compound the problem. Sin has taken everyone in its grasp. But in comes Jesus. He overcomes sin and freely gives his victory to those who can't beat it. Peter knows that he doesn't deserve it and tells Jesus to leave. And the leper recognizes Jesus' power and calls out. The effect is the same. Jesus is far other than them. He is pure, and his victory is enough for each of them. I don't really know you and which one you resonate with, Peter or the leper, but I do know me. And I know that I think I most often feel like Peter. And maybe you do too. Maybe you know how dirty you are. You know the ways that you've sinned in your life. You know that you're far too dirty, that you've done too much, you've gone too far, you've been too selfish, you've made too many mistakes and other lies that the devil has tempted you with. And when you look at Jesus, you can only think, get away from me, I'm not good enough for you. In contrast to Peter, the great disciple who Jesus spent so much time refining, I think there's something profound here in the confidence of the leper, perhaps something that we can learn from. The leper, instead of saying, get away from me, you're too, too good for me, stay away, he realizes that he's quite helpless. But he realizes that Jesus can overcome his problems. He realizes that Jesus is the only one who's capable of meeting his needs, and he boldly asks. Jesus not only heals, but he touches him. He gives this man who has not felt human touch and who knows how long, a gift of immeasurable worth. He heals him and he touches him. And this isn't an isolated experience. Jesus seems to be all about this throughout his ministry. He moves towards the common and the sinner. He's not um, walking around on this mission to look for people who are perfect. And who are just like really holy. They're already separate from from the rest of the Jewish world. And they're ready for the Messiah. And they're just, Jesus walks up and he's like, oh my goodness, you've been preparing your whole life for this. Come on, follow me. Instead, Jesus moves toward the sinful. Jesus moves towards the broken. He moves towards the outsiders and the sick. And this wasn't a side project. This isn't just a note that the gospel authors have left for us. This was his mission. When broken people meet Jesus, they're made whole. They're made clean. They're given purpose. At the end of Luke 5, we read one more story that really continues the same theme. Luke 5, starting in verse 27. After these things... He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wants sinners to come into contact with him in order to be made whole. Through his incarnation, he came to us. He transformed around 70 people, upwards of 70 people, And they came in contact with him and his presence. And the Holy Spirit went with them. And together they were the body of Christ. And the mission of the church grew to literally millions of people as it is today. It's gone to every country. It's crossed the world. The church grew because it came in contact with Christ. Today, Faith Church stands because Bob Helms was transformed by Jesus. And more and more people have grown in our church and are utterly changed, not because of how great they are or because Jesus has called just really capable people to join Faith Church, but rather because they, Jesus has touched the people in our church. Jesus not only heals, but he sustains us by his presence. And he wants us to live in community and represent him to one another. Jesus is still touching us today. He's still making our sinfulness into otherness, into his holiness, making what was common and just of this world into what God intended in Eden for the presence of God to be with us. We, can be, we have access to the presence of God through Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit. We are in his presence. Sometimes we forget what this is all about. And sometimes we go back to thinking like Peter. And we think there's no way that we're good enough. We, we may have been touched by Jesus in the past, but now we're, we just keep going back. We're still just so dirty. But it was never based on your cleanliness. It's not, it was never based on what you were able to do that you were able to step into the presence of God. It was based on what Jesus did. It's based on your being touched by Jesus. We're not good enough and that's the point. When we admit our frailty and we open ourselves up to Jesus who, is revealed, who was revealed to us in the church We come in contact with him. Jesus said, uh, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Faith Church, let us gather together in his name and continually catch his contagious holiness. May we not cease to meet in twos and threes. May Jesus transform us by his power working in each of us as we meet with each other. And in the end, let that change our mission to look like His, to seek out the sinners like ourselves.